Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And you know us, we're that HR dashboard that's helping all of you HR and people leaders get rid of the tedious, manual, and time-consuming process that we all know to be called HR reporting. That's right. We know when most of you want a comprehensive and data-driven story of your workforce, you're typically logging in to your HRIS, ATS, engagement platform, performance, and I'm sure there's so many others that you're pulling all these spreadsheets together to try to understand what is going on with my workforce. And you're always scratching your head thinking there must be a better way. We'll look no further because there is. Check out our HR dashboard at EmployeeCycle.com to learn how we have pre-built integrations to all the most popular HR systems out there. Are you using systems like ADP, Paylocity, Bamboo HR, Namely, Zenefits, Lever, Greenhouse, 15.5, Lattice, Reflective? Too many for me to name without losing my breath. If you're using all these different systems and you want all your data in one place, check out EmployeeCycle. We pull it all in so that you and your team can view, share, track, and analyze all your data from one view. Go to EmployeeCycle.com. Check us out. We'd love to give you a demo and explore how we can partner to help you automate your HR reporting and analytics process. But that's enough about us because today we have a great guest. So please help me welcome to the show, Brett Ungashik. He's the founder of Outsale. And today we're going to talk about how to choose the right HR software for your business. Brett, Welcome to the podcast. Woo! Go, Brett! Bruce, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. I'm excited to join you. Excited to catch up and talk about the selection process. Same here. And so, Brett, before we dive into the topic, we're going to kick this thing off the best way we know how. And that's by asking you, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? Yeah, great question. I started off selling to HR, actually. So I originally worked at LinkedIn right out of school. I was in the sales program there. I was selling to HR and talent acquisition leaders, spent three years doing that. My experience in that role was that, you know, occasionally I would call on TA leaders and they would be in need of some recruitment tools and they would buy some LinkedIn. But almost universally, every single company I reached out to had a bigger pain point than recruiting. And that was how to make sense of how complex the marketplace was. There's so many vendors. It's hard for them to know which ones they should be talking to, who are the right fits for them. They're getting noise and emails and calls from people all day long. And it's hard to keep track of what the best options were. And so that's kind of put a light bulb on for us to say, look, there might be an opportunity beyond selling HR software directly to say, what about buying HR software? Is there a service around that to help buyers be more efficient be more educated, and be more streamlined in that process so they can get it right more often. Awesome. And so, Brett, today we're talking about how to choose the right HR software for your business. And to make this as actionable as possible, what I would love to do is to create this framework around how to know which software you need, how to then select the software, what are some of the requirements, and then how do you really set yourself up for success? And so if we talk about the first stage of even identifying what you need, how should HR leaders go about doing that? 
Great question. Yeah. I mean, we always recommend starting internally. So internal alignment is the first place that we begin with all of our clients. Some of our clients look, something's on fire in their HR tech stack and they know what they need to fix first. You know, maybe it's a payroll system that's not processing correctly. Maybe it's a time tool that people aren't utilizing. Whatever it is, sometimes they know exactly where they want to start, but other times they don't. And sometimes we're working with clients that need a little bit of guidance on where they should really start this process. So um, something that we'll do with clients just to frame the the process is to build out a, a roadmap for them. And really all you have to do is chart across two axes what you're looking to accomplish. On the left-right axis or the x-axis, you can just chart how well are these different systems working. And so if things are really good, put them to the left. If they're really not so good, put them to the right. And then top to bottom, you can say, how much pain is this causing the business? And what you do when you do that exercise is you have these quadrants that come out and you have quadrant number one, which is these are very poorly run systems that are having big negative impacts on the company. That's where we want to start. Uh, You also have ones that are poorly run that are having minor impacts and those can potentially be you know, low-hanging fruit to begin your technology journey with. And then you have the things to the left side of the axis that are in a good place that maybe you tackle down the road. So that's typically where we start things is let's try to focus on what categories we want to focus on. And then once they know, okay, we need to tackle our performance engagement maybe because that's where we're seeing our biggest pain points. We have no systems around that. And we really want to have something in place that's going to drive retention and increase our employee engagement. Okay, once they know that, a lot of times people want to make the jump right to the market at that point. And we think that's a little bit of a mistake. Instead, what we recommend is two things. One, having a kickoff call with internal stakeholders. So bring all your colleagues together, cross-functional partners, whether it's people managers, whether it's the you know head of the department, TA, whoever it is that's going to be involved in that purchase, get them in a room to say, hey, we want to go down this road. What do you guys want out of this process if we're going to go through this? And what do you need to see from vendors so that you feel confident enough to make a leap? Those are two great questions to ask. And bringing people together in that format can really help make the project real. It can help you identify who are your project advocates that are going to be working with you in the trenches to get this project over the fence. And who are the ones that are a little bit skeptical that you need to work on? So that's always a great step. And then once you know what that project team looks like, going to the team and saying, Before we start to build out a list of features and buttons and functionality that we want, what are the high-level outcomes that we need in order for this product to be a success? You know, that should be anywhere from three to about six or seven items where we say, hey, if we're better in reporting, if we have more employee utilization, we have better customer support, whatever those five or six things are for your business, get those on paper, talk those out, get into agreement amongst the team about what those are. And then you're going to be a little bit more prepared to go to market. So at that point, you know, you figured out what does the organization need most urgently. You figured out who on your team is going to go through this process with you and you know what you're trying to solve for. And that's the point where we say, okay, now you've done that internal alignment. And now you can go to market a little bit. That's very interesting. And it makes a lot of sense if, if everything is very clear and it's black and white in regards to what you believe your needs are. But I was just on a a recent interview and we were talking about the future of work and the future of the workplace. And we were talking about how since the world is moving so fast and forcing companies to move so fast that HR leaders, they know what they know and they may know what they don't know, but we're really moving into a place where a lot of their work is we don't know what we don't know. 
And so when it comes to areas where you don't even know that you should have a system, how do you think about that? And how do you think about the discovery around that? So for instance, maybe you're going to move to a remote workforce where before you were in person, you might not even know that there are remote work platforms to help with communication specifically around remote models. So how do you think about those types of things? Yeah, it's a great question, Bruce. And, you know, it, it hits on the point that we, we think about all the time is that, that the marketplace is way too broad and way too dynamic for any one HR practitioner to possibly keep up with it all. That's where we think, you know, using a, a technology broker like OutSale makes a lot of sense because we can spend a lot of time understanding that space and then coming to clients with ideas. But beyond that, I think if just as an internal HR practitioner, what I would be most interested in is asking questions of my employees around what could be better with the employee experience and then asking questions of myself and my team of saying, where are we operationally inefficient? I think doing that self-diagnosis or peer-to-peer diagnosis is going to help you to identify what those challenges are. And again, if they say, ever since we went remote, we we haven't had the same camaraderie, the same communication that we used to have in the office, that is then your ticket to say, okay, that's what we need to solve for. Now let's go out and see if there are things for that. Because more often than not, there's a lot of great technology coming out. There are people that are thinking about solving these issues. So I'd say it's less of, can once you know the problem, is it that hard to find one? I don't think it's that hard to, to use Google and some review websites and figure out you know, where you can start to begin that search. What I think is the bigger issue that holds people back is not doing that self-diagnosis or not talking to their employees to figure out where they should be looking. And, you know, if that step's taken, then I think the the ability to go out and find technology solutions, there's certainly some challenges to that, too, that we can talk about. But um, I think a lot of the times organizations just get really stuck in their ways. They have their process and they don't realize that things could be better. And so just doing that simple self team and company wide diagnosis would be my best recommendation there. Awesome. And so as we move into the selection stage, now that we figured out what types of platforms or what types of problems we're looking to solve. And let's just say we need to do better at recruiting. Yep. How should I be thinking about the selection process? What are the requirements that I should be thinking about? Should I be thinking from an industry perspective? Should I be thinking about my company size, my company business model? What are the things that I should be thinking about to make sure that I'm making the right decision in creating the best and most accurate requirements list based off of my unique needs? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And this is where we see a lot of businesses get really overwhelmed, right? Because, you know, on this example, let's say you're looking for applicant tracking systems. If you go to G2 or Captera or any review site, you're going to have 15 to 20 names that you're going to have right off the bat. So how do you know which of those to sit down with? You don't have time to look at them all. Uh, I think the, you mentioned this, but the one point that I always recommend companies focus on first and foremost is size match. How big is my company and what is the average customer size that this vendor typically works with? And that's a hard thing to figure out, but there are actually ways that you can get that information. And those review websites have been a great source of information for that. So uh, to give an example, if you go to G2 and you pull up reviews for Gusto, what you'll find is 90% of the reviews came from companies with less than 50 employees. So that is an indication that Gusto is a small business payroll solution. 
If you do the same research for Workday and you pull them up on G2, you'll find that 90% of their reviews are for companies with a thousand plus employees. So that is an enterprise system. So using that tool right there can help to cut out a lot of the vendors who are either too small for your business. And what I mean by too small is that if they're focused on the small end of the market, they're going to have limited functionality and limited configurations, and it's not going to scale with your business. And you can also cut out the ones that are too big. And what I mean by too big is ones that are going to require a lot of consulting effort, a lot of manual administration to build it out. So finding that sweet spot of where is our company and where do these vendors fit in the marketplace, that is a great, great way to cut out some vendors. Um, aside from that, you know, I think how established our vendors in the market is another thing to look at. Now, I don't mean that to say you should only go with the biggest vendor in the market. Absolutely not. There's a lot of great startups out there. But what you want to look for is really how active is this business? Do I have a sense that they're growing and they're going to be in this marketplace for a while? So a number of ways that you can cross-reference that and kind of triangulate that. You can go to someone's LinkedIn page and you can see how many employees they have and how many employees they've hired recently. You can go to their Crunchbase page and you can see their rounds of funding. Are that are investors believing in what they're doing? Uh, you can go to review websites and see, are people commenting on this? Does it look like they have an active customer base? So those can be little indicators too of, you know, if you're seeing the same names pop up and seeing good signals, then they, they probably have some viability in the marketplace. Um, and then, you know, once you've decided that you want to interview a few of these platforms, going back to that work that you did originally to say, here are our three or four or five key criteria and most important things, just send those inf- send those questions to the vendors themselves. You don't have to jump on a demo before you heard from them about, hey, what are you guys doing around diversity recruiting and how are you going to help us there? Or but what are you guys doing from an integration standpoint with our payroll system? Those are things that you can ask before you get on the demo and help you rule out options without having to sit on you know 30-minute discovery calls and hour-long demos. You mentioned integrations there. How important are you finding integrations to be when companies are selecting software and how should they think about integrations? What does that mean? Does it mean, does it integrate with existing systems? Does it integrate with systems that I'm thinking about using later? Can I build my own custom integration? What should I be thinking about in that regard? Great question. I I think that almost every buyer wants integrations because they felt the pain point of having disparate systems. I mean, that's what you guys do, right? You guys help with that exact problem of uh, disparate systems and disparate data and manual reentry. So people experience that pain. They know that pain. And so they want integrated. And I think the mistake is not understanding what integrated means and not knowing what questions to ask around that, right? So when it comes to integrations, a lot of people look for, oh, you know, vendor X is in vendor Y's marketplace. So they must be integrated. Yes and no. I mean, what that means is that those vendors have done some building of a bridge between their two systems, but oftentimes that bridge is very rigid in terms of how it works. So, you know, let's say it's Greenhouse and Paylocity, for example, and they're they're not marketplace partners, but we'll just go that way. Those two, let's say they built a bridge to each other. Well, what that says is at this certain stage, these certain fields are going to go over to this field and they're going to map here. Now that's nice, but that may not be exactly what you're looking for. And so, During implementation, you might actually have to build a different integration, even though they already had one built. So I would say really think about each integration as a custom project. Even if they say we have this, it's already exists, it's going to be custom for your business because you're going to have different fields. You're going to want to do it at different stages. And so knowing that it's a custom 
process almost every time, you need to then ask questions about what that building process is going to look like. What technical resources do we need? Who's going to be responsible for building it? Is it our team? Is it your team? Is it the third party? How much is it going to cost? Are we going to have to rebuild it over time? What happens if we change a field? Does that going to mess up the mapping? Is this going to be bi-directional? Do we even need it to be bi-directional? You know, I think a lot of people just want two-way sinks, but they, they aren't always necessary. Sometimes data only needs to go one way. So um, again, I, I would just zoom that out and say, don't be, don't fall for the trick that in, integrations are easy because they're not. And understand that it's, it's really a custom building process with each implementation. And if you think of it that way, then ask questions about what is it going to take to really build this from our team and from your team so we can have this looking the way we want it to. If I'm looking for an HRIS platform, an ATS, engagement, performance management system, regardless of what it is, and I do a demo and I fall in love with the first platform, is there any problem you think for me to just go with that one? Or do you think I always need to at least talk to a few competing vendors in the same space to make sure I'm making the right decision? Um, you know, our best practice with clients is anywhere from two to four finalists. So I would say one, it, it might be a little bit risky. You know, that being said, if you if you've done a lot of good due diligence and you've really got your team together, you know what your key criteria are, you've asked those questions in a great way, and the person that you're talking to is able to validate all of them, then you did a good evaluation and you found that one. Yeah, I think most people like to sleep a little bit better knowing that they looked under a couple different rocks, but um, no, I, I think our best practice is a few, but not too many, right? Because too many can really eat up a calendar and it can be really hard to keep track of which vendor showed you which thing. But uh, anywhere from like two to three options can be really helpful. Um, you know, I, I'm always hesitant to tell vendors who they're competing against because we'll see people start kind of trashing other vendors and that's never a good experience for anyone. Uh, but, you know, it can be helpful to even if you fall in love with a platform to ask questions of, you know, references or peers in your network or other people outside of just that salesperson to make sure that even though they validated what you're looking for, that you're getting a couple other points of validation elsewhere. Got it. I'm sure you get this question all the time. I know we talk to customers about this on almost every demo, them being able to have one system that does everything versus buying a bunch of point solutions and sacrificing all your data in one place to have a bunch of systems that are laser focused on their specific area versus having one system that may not be amazing across the board, but at least you have all your data together. We get that question all the time. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest with you, I can't tell one business just out of a vacuum that one option is better than the other. What I've found is that bundling can be more optimal for organizations. Fewer systems can be better than more systems in general, but there's a lot of good business reasons to go best in class. A lot of our clients are high growth tech companies. They are not going to enjoy the ATS that a payroll company provides. They need a dedicated greenhouse, lever, workable type solution. Um, a lot of companies are really being thoughtful around how they want to do performance and engagement now that you know we're in a remote-first environment. They're not going to find those great tools in a payroll-centric HRIS platform. So those are good business reasons to go best in class. And so that's what really my thing is start 
default to fewer systems or better than more systems. But if the business needs it, go best in class. And you know, the great thing is there are services out there that can help with integrations. And there's services out there like Employee Cycle that can help with the reporting. So just because you go best in class doesn't mean data has to be siloed. Just because you go best in class doesn't mean manual reentry has to be the default. But it does take a little bit more um, you know, strategic planning to, to make sure that those things do end up getting unified. Awesome. And then the last question I want to ask is around implementation. How do you make sure that you have the best implementation and you're setting yourself up for success once after you've decided to move forward with a specific vendor? Yeah, Bruce, implementation is a pain. No one likes it. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's just the truth. But, you know, the biggest thing, number one, number two, and number three that I would recommend is bandwidth. Um, just because you got to the finish line of evaluations doesn't mean the job is done. A good implementation, it's not rocket science. They're not going to ask you to do any hard calculations or anything like that. It's a lot of data gathering, filling out forms, explaining processes. It's all stuff that people can manage, but you just got to have the time for it. And so number one thing, get the bandwidth, make sure your team is ready for it. If you're not ready for it, see if it makes sense to hire a temporary consultant because there can be a lot of value in getting it right. It's going to save a lot of headache down the road. Um, and you know, once you do have the bandwidth, make sure that you've got a really good project manager on both sides. Uh, and that's what it's going to come down to is hopefully the vendor that you're contracting with their implementation person is a great project manager. That's not always going to be the case. And so having a good project manager on your side to say, here's where we want to go. Here's the timelines we want to hit. If we don't have these things then we need to check in. So um, just really taking it one step at a time, having the bandwidth to just really manage the process. It's, it's never fun or sexy, but uh, it's not rocket science either. So it's just really dedicating the time to it. And for everyone that's listening to this interview, if they only were to walk away with one thing that you said today, what would you want them to walk away with? Yeah, great question. Um, I would say don't let yourself get sold technology. So just be the driving force behind this. And what I mean by that is start with the team and your employees and understand what you need rather than having some salesperson reach out and say, do you need this? Uh, you know, as you go into those evaluations, be the one that's preparing for those calls and coming up with the good questions and building the scorecards. And then as you're going through implementation, don't just, you know, sit back and say, you know, tell me what to do next, but tell them how you want it built. So uh, take control. Take control is my my recommendation to everyone. Uh, you know, the right technology can make all the difference. It can really do a lot of great things for your workforce. It can do a lot of great things for yourself and your career and allowing you to do more strategic things, uh, but you really got to take control. And, you know, don't be afraid of technology. It's not it's not anything that's, uh, you know, above anyone's head. It's just it requires a little bit of strategic, concerted effort. And uh, I believe that everyone can do that. Right. Thanks so much for being such an awesome guest on our podcast and really demystifying the process and streamlining the process of buying HR software. We really appreciate it. And thanks again for sharing all your wisdom and thoughts. My pleasure, Chris. Awesome. So, Brett, where can people find you and Outsale online? Yeah, so we are at outsale.co. Outsale is spelled O-U-T-S-A-I-L. And, yeah, if anyone is looking to purchase software, looking to do an audit of their technology roadmap, uh, you can find us on that website and you can reach out to me, Brett, B-R-E-T-T, at outsale.co. 
we'd love to help out. Uh, there's really no barriers to entry with our broker model. It's free to customers. So anyone that needs help, we're happy to help with. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include all that info in the show notes. So for everyone out there listening, if you enjoyed this episode as much as Brett and I did making it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. And also leave us a nice little note to let us know what you learned, what you thought was the most interesting. It helps us to continue to create great content. Also, if this is your very first time listening to our podcast and now you're hungry for more episodes, please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.